Instant replay is confirmed. The on-court decision is a two-point field goal. Yeah, he gathers his feet. The question is, was his toe on the line? And it looks like from that angle, it was on the line. Still a beautiful shot. I remember that guy, the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present. I'm James, and I'm excited to see the Brooklyn Nets become a hipster team again. It's the ideal scenario for Ben Simmons because they are expected to suck, but we have a very special guest with us this week. This guy has never sucked, not once in his life. Special guest, please introduce yourself. <laughs> I'm the normal special guest, Xavier, and watching the Nets implode within three years has been a total delight because it distracts from the terrors of my own team, which, as I said last week, we're going to do something interesting, and they have. We got something else interesting this week. We have another special guest. We were double booked and we were able to make room for a true hooper. And by true hooper, I mean the only person currently on this edition of the podcast who ever played basketball above an AAU level. Please introduce yourself, sir. Wow. Thank you for the introduction. My name is Kevin. And as you guys just found out, I am officially a washed up hooper avid podcast listener and that's just what i do with the time that i used to spend on the court i now listen to podcasts and i am metaphorically waving to all the fans of this podcast and just want to say you know if you two chase your dream you will one day end up on your favorite podcast so thank you for having me is this our first ever uh long time listener first time caller thing i think so that's great that's a great moment now we just need to do a pledge drive, and we will have checked all of the public radio boxes. <laughs> or the brand, baby. Well, welcome, Kevin. It's lovely to have you here. And let's go ahead and throw it to you first for uh, making memories. Who's doing that for you right now? Well, thank you. I'm honored to go first. I have two, but I feel like both of them are probably both of Xavier's as well. So I'll start with one that happened two nights ago in the U.S. Women's National Team game against Columbia. And that is that Carson Pickett is the first player with a limb difference to appear for the U.S. national team. And those of you who may not know her, you probably have seen her. She's on a very famous picture where she's holding up her uh, limb difference. She is missing her forearm, born without it. And she goes up to a young child in the crowd who also has a limb difference, the same thing. And she Gives this child a metaphorical, uh, actually not metaphor, all intents and purposes, a fist bump. Very famous picture, and she is now officially a member of the U.S. national team. Kevin is right. That was one of mine. You love Carson Pickett. I'm glad that he, he knows me so well in my, my love of women's sports. Absolutely fantastic story. She was the oldest person to uh, make her debut for the national team uh, in the past five years. She's been playing for the NWSL for a while now. She's really fucking good, and it's just an awesome story. One thing I found interesting is she's playing, I think, left back. She's playing a wing back, and those are um, you know, two positions that aren't necessarily really locked up. The women have a World Cup in about a year's time, and there's a good chance she might make a World Cup roster, which would be pretty, pretty dang awesome. Is, I guess this is kind of the continuation of Jim Abbott's the first person I would think of with any kind of limb difference in the in the big four. Uh, I mean, then there's Oscar Pistorius, but that one went a little <laughs> south. So let's just well, stick Jim that Abbott. one. Shaquille Griffin. Shaquille yeah, Griffin. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yep, yep, yep. 
Well, love that. Um, and then so you want to know what else? Kev's yeah. second one though is because if it is Please. also one of mine, that would be just perfect. Please, Kev. What what's your next one? My second person making memories for me is Jalen Brunson. I'm a longtime Villanova basketball fan. I remember watching Jalen Brunson, thinking he was probably the greatest college basketball player I've ever seen. Two-time national champ. Goes in the second round. You know, all the typical measurements didn't really go his way. He wasn't the quickest, wasn't the tallest. And he is now heading to the Big Apple for four years, $110 million. So he's probably my favorite college player of all time. I was really hoping he would just crack into the NBA, let alone get this monster contract. Very happy for him. Was that, was that one of yours, X? So I do have the headline open from 2014 that I had planned on bringing up. Rick Brunson's arrest might have cost Temple a five-star point guard because (laughs) as a Temple student at the time and large Temple basketball fan, I was at the games where Jalen Brunson was taking his visits and chanting his name, and then Temple hires Rick Brunson, and it feels like it's fate. And then Rick Brunson gets arrested for impersonating Patrick Ewing to get massages from people who wouldn't give him massages anymore. And then... Temple has to fire Rick Brunson. And then Jalen Brunson goes to Villanova instead. And the rest, as they say, is history. But Rick Brunson is back. He gets fired again by the Timberwolves for other inappropriate conduct. So now Rick Brunson is with the Knicks. And so now Jalen Brunson is joining the Knicks. So it's like, I missed out on them in college. Getting them again now. it's, It's okay. It's whatever. I hope he does well because otherwise the Knicks, everyone will laugh at them again. And I'd rather them not do that. I very badly need Patrick Ewing to confront Mr. Brunson about that. That little brouhaha back in the day, now that he's with the Knicks. I just need some resolution now that you've enlightened me to that part of the story. I think they were teammates. So I, like, I'm pretty sure that they know each other. And I'm sure Ewing, when he saw that, probably reached out. I wonder if he endorsed it. Like, hey, Rick, <laughs> you can't get any love. I mean, I got a fake ID. Here you go. I'm 12. I am Patrick Ewing. Why not? I mean, teammates look out for each other, right? I think, I just I think like, that's... don't do anything that will make me look bad. Just keep the image of a good Patrick Ewing going, and what's the harm? It's definitely a uh, locker room conversation that you have after, like, a big win. Patrick Ewing's like, listen, guys, you're all my brothers. You're all my friends. You can impersonate me anytime you want. And then Rick Brunson took him up on the offer, and he didn't like it. He definitely, he probably gave him the green light. See, like, Rick Brunson can probably get away with it, but, like, John Starks, probably a little too short. But before, before Kev steals another person that's making memories for you, Xavier, I think you, you should go now. <laughs> while, while you still have one left, yeah. It's all right. I, I, I still got two quick ones. One, I saw that the Women's College World Series had a higher television rating than the Men's College World Series. Once again, proving that if you put women's sports on television where people can find it, people will watch it. Especially because the Oklahoma women's softball team fucking rules, uh, as I have stated at least four times on this podcast. So you know, just just put them on TV. We will watch them. Xavier, are you saying that the Wednesday 1 p.m. slot is not a good time slot for WNBA games? I don't want to wake up and watch WNBA right when I'm starting work or the workday. I want to watch the WNBA at 6 o'clock when I'm done with work and can sit down and actually watch TV. I'm like, what's this? There's a game that's halfway through? It's 10 in the morning. What the hell is this? 
it's the one league where I have finally benefited from rooting for Western Conference teams all the time because it's the only way that I get like even remotely viewable showtimes for the Aces. <laughs> the, the other quick thing I had, which is actually back to Temple basketball, Shane Dazani, who was the number two prospect uh, in all of Pennsylvania last year per 247 and top 100 overall, went to Vandy as a freshman last year, actually played against Temple, and then decided, you know what, the South isn't for me, and wanted to come back. So he committed to St. Joe's, where I believe his mother went. And then a week later said, fuck that, and decommitted from St. Joe's. And now he's committed to Temple, which people found out because they found his name in the Temple Cherry and White directory, student roster. And then the, a day later, he said, yeah, I'm here. I'm coming to Temple. And so now... Temple has a really strong team with a lot of good young players. And, you know, hopefully this kid can be a really good piece for them. Temple basketball on the ups, especially now with Villanova maybe having to do a bit of uh, rebuilding. Fingers crossed. I I think Temple should challenge for the tourney this year. Yeah, but now you have the crushing weight of expectations. Then Aaron McKee was built for this. Aaron McKee McKee was was in a Netflix movie in the past month. He knows what it takes. Ever since when my sophomore year, as I was taking the elevator up to the pickup basketball courts at Temple, when I shared the elevator with Aaron McKee, I gave him some words of wisdom right there, and I'd like to think it's helped prepare him for this moment. So, Aaron, if you're listening to the podcast, which I'm sure you are, slide in my DMs. I got some ideas. I have a few plays that we could work on for this season. I'll do it free of charge. You don't even need to bring me on staff. I will... That will be my donation as, as a Temple alumni, because I will never donate money to the school. But I will gladly donate my basketball expertise, Aaron. I think you also like need to not get paid, because I, I, legitimately, I feel like University of Penn would probably have a problem if you were also getting paid by Temple to do something in an arena where they are theoretically in direct competition with one another. Listen, I'm, I'm fully free from the Penn Athletics Department now. I am, I am a freelancer in this sports broadcast game. I understand where you're coming from, but listen, if Brunson can pretend to be Patrick Ewing to get some unsavory massages, I think I can get paid by two big five schools. You just have to pretend to be Grievous Vasquez. Oh, I I am Grievous Vasquez, James. (laughs) That's what you don't realize. (laughs) Well, well, Grievous Vasquez, if that's the case, then I I think Xavier's all set. Who's who's making memories for you, Mr. Vasquez? Senor Vasquez, lo siento. Haciendo memorias para Vasquez. Uh, we'll go back to English now, but stay tuned for next week. We'll, we will be debuting our Spanish language podcast. But in the meantime, we'll stick with English. And making memories for me is Daryl Morey. Incredible start to the first day of free agency. First of all, I think it's funny that this is just called the legal tampering period. Like deals can't be offered yet, but you can legally tamper now. As opposed to all the tampering that wasn't happening the past week. <laughs> They really, they really hammered out that Jalen Brunson contract so quickly once they were allowed to legally tamper. It's impressive, but equally impressive is how quickly Daryl was able to legally tamper and uh, recreating his vision of Rockets East, except now instead of Clint Capella, we have Joel Embiid. I think it's a pretty good theory, but very quickly securing uh, an agreement from P.J. Tucker in Daniel House, I think, who is one of the most underrated 3 and D wins in the game. And then also signing, under the radar, Traveling Queen. So Traveling Queen, for the uninitiated, is the definition of a dog. 
traveling queen, had to bounce around to all these different high schools, did not play any high school ball at all his junior year due to transfer eligibility rules in Florida. Nine games his senior year, has to go to JUCO route, is splitting a two-bedroom apartment with seven of his teammates. They're living out of a car at a certain point in this JUCO journey. He eventually ends up in New Mexico State, goes undrafted, spends a couple years in the G League. The G League MVP last year, the, uh, the champion Rio Grande Valley Vipers, I think that's the whole name. But now getting the chance, got 300000 guaranteed, and is going to have an opportunity to fight for a roster spot. So I love that Treble and Queen story. I love what Daryl's done so far. I, I, I tweeted this earlier, and I'll say it on this podcast. It brings me no pleasure to report that I am all the way back in on the Sixers. It's championship or bust, baby. We got Embiid. We got Harden. We got Maxi. Bede's recruiting Durant to come. That's definitely going to happen. There's no way it doesn't. <laughs> I'm all the way in. I'm sixered up, baby. Yes, I'll, I'll say it right here for you. The 76ers are winning the next NBA title. Thank you. I, I myself am not allowed to say those words because of superstition, but I'm glad somebody else is able to speak truth. The 76ers are going to win the next NBA title. And none of you will see me for about three weeks after that. I won't try to jinx you either, Diaz, but let's just say I will be putting a future on a Philadelphia-based basketball team. I won't try to jinx you either, Diaz, but let's just say I will be putting a future on a Philadelphia-based basketball team. I, I appreciate you putting your money where your mouth is, Kev. And I, too, think that the yet-to-be-announced Philadelphia WNBA team is going to win the title in its first year. They'll have to do an expansion draft for the WNBA, right? Right. And like, I mean, I think it would be one of those things where it'd be like a wink, wink. Hey, you know, Elena Deladon lit up high school and college ball just about 30 minutes down the road. I don't see there's any way that Elena Deladon would not end up on the eventual Philadelphia WNBA franchise. But and that's a conversation for another day. We're not prognosticating the future. We're, we're talking about making memories. So James, who is doing that for you? Well, all credit to the Hockey Hall of Fame for taking the absolute layup of <laughs> inducting the trio of goalie mentioned last week, greatest goalie to never win a Vezina Trophy, Roberto Luongo, as well as identical twins, Henrik and Daniel Sedin. I know we all know that they're identical twins, but man, now that they're going into the Hall of Fame, it feels apt to mention one more time that there was a pair of identical twins that played together for their entire careers, won MVP trophies in back-to-back seasons, and are now going into the Hall of Fame. Um, the three of those players are 100% the reason I'm a Vancouver Canucks fan. It, it is pretty much exclusively the three of them, and I can't say anything more eloquent about that. It was, that was just a very, very moving moment. What I can say a little bit more about is someone else that is making memories for me. A few people all related to a recent brawl in Anaheim at Angels Stadium. There's a fight between the Seattle Mariners and the Angels. Uh, some highlights during the fight were Shohei Otani's translator, Ipe, having to basically hold back, you know, the greatest baseball player of all time. He's doing it again for a second season. I don't know how much longer we need to wait before we say it. But this all started when Jesse Winker got hit by a pitch. A Mariners fan decided that, you know what, now that Jesse Winker's kicked out of the game, he could probably go for some pizza. And so, at Sophie Ballgame on Twitter, ordered a pizza from Mountain Mike's Pizza in Anaheim via DoorDash to be delivered to Angel Stadium. And 
luckily, she happened to apparently get, like, the best DoorDash driver ever. Because Simranjit Singh, we do know the name of the driver, Simranjit Singh, he picked up that pizza at 4.30. By 5.04, that pizza had been handed off to stadium personnel at Angel Stadium for Jesse Winker. Jesse Winker got that pizza, and it was. We do have confirmation, based on his DMs to Sophie Ballgame, a pretty good pizza. So, not only that, not only is it great that he got a pretty good pizza, obviously, at Sophie Ballgame and the internet at large, we're big fans of Simranjit Singh in this moment, and so, because he went to these extreme lengths to, again, make an incredibly fast delivery of pizza to this stadium, uh, he was inundated with with tips on his Venmo and Cash app, which were shared by Sophie for all the fans that, that tracked this over the hour or so that it was happening. And he got so much that he donated a large chunk of it to St. Jude's in Dallas, which was then matched by Mountain Mike's Pizza in Anaheim. They matched the same donation of Simranjit Singh to them. So just a just an all-around feel-good story that is at Sophie Ballgame. And hey, if you want to follow Simranjit Singh on Twitter, that is at JeetBamra4. So that's that's just a, a fun story about DoorDash and baseball that uh, I absolutely loved following in real time this week. I did stuff love like that, that story a whole lot. Stuff like that shows you and reminds you that, like, to, to me, like, the main purpose of sport is to, like, build community and connect people. And obviously we love to go nuts for the games that happen. And, like, we love, like, mm-hmm. talking shit on these athletes and drama of it but like ultimately at the end of the day it's about connecting people and better silly thing that could only be possible in this modern age that we live in than to see that i mean like try even like 30 years ago like explaining this to somebody like yeah so there's a thing on your phone that you keep on you all the time that's also a computer that you can get any kind of food delivered to anywhere and because of that the lady posted on a website with the username to send the driver money. A lot of people did it. Like, it's a, non- it's a nonsense sentence 30 years ago, but now it's a feel-good story. And then she got a message on her phone from a baseball player thanking her for the pizza, except it wasn't a phone call. Yeah, it's all, it's all bizarre. Just a great story. So... Between the Hockey Hall of Fame and at Sophie Ballgame and Sinrajit Singh, that's that's who's making memories for me. Enough with the present, though. Again, folks, we don't want to beat around about it. If you clicked on the episode today, you know that it's a four-year consideration. We've got our friend Kevin McFall here because Kevin has got a guy. And you want to see whether or not this guy passes up to the eye test of the guy Bunel. And so we have reconvened once again, and we're ready to hear your pitch whenever you are ready to wind up and deliver. Thank you. I do want to start one little thing I know you guys have never done before. As a longtime listener, I have listened to you guys talk about a plethora of guys, and I just thought you would really enjoy my opinion on everything that you said. So I have put together a a podium, my personal podium of guys, and I am giving the guy bronze medal to Eddie Guidel. Fuck yeah, um, let's go, Eddie yeah. Guidel. Greatest story in baseball. Thank you. Thank you for the recognition of the little man. My reason being that he wore the number one eighth. It's just such an incredible old-timey thing to do, and you can't get over that. I can't get much better than that. My guy, silver medal, is Jason Lezak. This on a personal note, I remember watching all of Michael Phelps in 2008, and I remember Elaine Bernard 
saying that he was going to, I think it was trash or bash the Americans or... No, we're going to destroy them. He just says we're going to destroy them. Yeah, he's going to destroy them. And then Elaine Bernard goes into the fourth leg with a lead and lost. And I just thought that was very poetic. And a good American story. I had to get Diaz in here. So a special consideration for Clarence Gaines. Love the story. And I love the story of them essentially being like, you're the football coach, you're the basketball coach, the track coach, you're the AD, you're the trainer. He's just like, all right, I'm just going to do them all and just go be a Hall of Fame coach. So that was a special consideration. My guy gold medal goes to Duncan Edwards. Yeah. I'm a big soccer fan. I'm getting more and more into it every year. And the Munich air disaster is something you hear about every single year, especially as a Manchester City fan. Every year, City you know, drops the act and will send their condolences to Manchester United. But I didn't realize what a talent the world lost with Duncan Edwards on that plane. So that story was just pretty sick. So that's my guy podium, my personal guy podium. Mount Guymore? <laughs> okay. Yeah, maybe we can throw Clarence Gaines on there. It might be. Do want to get into my guy here, and I was explaining that I was researching another player, had this nugget that he was a guy, and then you started looking at him, and you realize he's not so much of a guy as you thought. Then Wikipedia just works some magic, and you end up on a guy who is way more of a guy than the guy that you were looking up, if that makes any sense. So, um, You're speaking our language. Don't worry. Oh uh, Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure all the listeners will 100% understand what I just said. <laughs> um, if, if you've so stuck player, with us this far, you get it. Yeah. So the player that I was researching was Gary Barnage. One hit wonder from that Cleveland Browns 2015 team. But the guy I want to talk about is Gary Barnage's best friend, D'Angelo Williams. Okay. Pretty recent. All of us should remember D'Angelo Williams. Absolutely. I want to take us back a little bit to Wynn, Arkansas, where D'Angelo Williams is from. It is a town about an hour and a half outside of Little Rock. And you can probably do the math. It was a southern town founded in 1867. So it was named after a Confederate general, Jesse Watkins Wynn. Just that little nugget of information I thought would be pretty interesting is you can kind of get this idea of what this southern town looks like before I mention one more person for D'Angelo Williams. This town is home to Carlos Hathcock, which history buffs will know as this legendary sniper in the Vietnam War. Carlos Hathcock has 93 confirmed kills in battle, himself saying that the number should really be up near 300 or 400 kills. For 35 years, he held the record for the longest confirmed kill with a modified Browning machine gun where he killed a Vietnam soldier from over a mile and a half away in 1967. A mile and a half? Mile and a half, 2,500 yards, they said. Again, this record held until 2002. So think about all the technology that had to come along for someone the best this guy my cousin uh, was a sniper in the special forces so that's just an insane number to me that's wild here's the scale i want to put to that what year did you say that was 
1967. It was the Vietnam War. Okay. To bring that statistic, both to put it in context and to bring it back to football, in 1967, there were only six quarterbacks that threw for more than 2,500 yards over an entire season. (laughs) (laughs) That really does put it in context. Well, that's uh, a pretty remarkable stat. So, yeah, so this record holds for 35 years. He's still an icon. Like, you know, Chris Kyle looked up to him. And there's just one more quote I wanted to read for you to fully understand Carlos Hathcock. And just remember, Vietnam was the draft. They were just pulling 18-year-olds, just pulled them out of class and sending them off to war. Carlos Hathcock wrote a book about his career. And this one line is just so chilling. He says, I like shooting, but I love hunting. I never did enjoy killing anybody, but it was my job. If I don't get those bastards, they're going to kill a lot of kids dressed up like Marines. And that was the way I looked at it. That took, but, uh, that took me in a lot of places at first. When he said I liked hunting, I thought he was going to say, like, yeah, I considered it a game. But then he went totally serious. And that was, yeah, that's a good line. Yeah, it was a little spine chilling when I read it at first. He called them kids dressed up like Marines because they he didn't feel like they were really soldiers. They were just picked and put on the front lines. So. War is bad. But, I think we can make that declaration. It's a hot take, but it's, it's one that we all personally agree with. But the story is not about, uh, not about Carlos Hathcock. It is about D'Angelo Williams. And D'Angelo Williams was born and raised in Wynn, Arkansas, uh, born in 1983. It's a rural town. You know, like I said, it's an hour and a half outside of Little Rock. A lot of poverty. Median household income was 30 grand. 20% living below the poverty line. So a young D'Angelo Williams becomes obsessed with gangs and these Little Rock gang legends. And his mother, Sandra Hill, who we'll touch on, said that he was, quote, attracted to these gangs like magnets. And that D'Angelo would repeatedly turn down opportunities to go play football with his friends because he just didn't like football. And he was more into gangs. Finally, he goes, he plays a game of schoolyard pickup football. And he says, after that, he was hooked. His mother said that game of football saved his life, which is a pretty great story. When you think about where they come from, you know, it's a really, really rough part of town. D'Angelo Williams obviously makes it out, or we probably wouldn't be talking about him. At Wynn High School, D'Angelo fractures his foot his sophomore year. And I'm sure Diaz can attest, nothing is worse than a fractured foot, <laughs> uh, being worst. a lifelong Sixers fan. It is the absolute worst. Right. And as we know from you know our experiences with Joel Embiid, there was a lot of doubt whether he was going to really play. But thankfully, he was young enough and he wasn't seven foot, 300 pounds. So <laughs> he heals his foot. There's a little bit of uncertainty. And obviously, he's in love with football at this point. So he's determined to get back. His junior season, he puts up a very humble uh, 1,000 yards and 14 touchdowns on his way to first-team All-State just less than a year after fracturing his foot. I say humble because in his senior season, on his way to a state title, he had 2,200 yards, 34 touchdowns, 10 yards per carry, first-team All-State, and a state title. And in the state title game, He ran for 306 yards and six touchdowns. That's ridiculous. That's like the freaking, um, 
Did oh, anyone else score? Did anybody else on the team score if he ran for 306 yards and six touchdowns? I did not pull the final score, but I got to imagine 42 would have been enough to win the game with them winding the clock with 300 yards rushing. Yeah, that's just like, making me think of Derrick Henry's high school stats where it's like 400 yards, 400 yards, 270 yards, 500 yards. Like, that's ridiculous. It always blows my mind to see the stats of... Even, like, I saw Reno Mahe's high school stats one time, and they were absurd. And Reno Mahe was just a glorified punt returner for the Eagles for, like, five, six seasons. It, it, it puts it in the perspective, like, there's levels to this. You might have been decent on your high school team, but if you were going to go pro and you're not getting at least 250 yards a game, what were you even doing? Yeah, my favorite stat there was that he had 10 yards a carry. Just give him the ball, and he got a first down. <laughs> but the difference between him and Derrick Henry is that D'Angelo Williams is like 5'10". Derrick Henry is 6'2", like 250. He looks like the dictionary definition of a running back. He has like the exact body size, the exact build. If you show a lineup of NFL players and ask what he plays, it's very clear. It's <laughs> yeah, he's a running back. D'Angelo Williams, also very fast. He won the state title in the 200-meter won the silver in the 100-meter dash, and his team uh, won the silver in the team event. This would all lead to him to commit to his home state, the Arkansas Razorbacks. However, in his senior year, he decommitted from Arkansas, opened up his recruitment to Iowa and Ole Miss, but would inevitably go to the University of Memphis from everything I've read, just a shock commitment, especially the fact that he turned down Arkansas, even Ole Miss and Iowa Power Five programs, he would go to lowly Memphis as a four-star recruit. No one could really understand why. But if you remember anything about D'Angelo Williams, you will know that he was an absolute human highlight reel in college. And I want to preface all of this. Memphis had not been to a bowl game since 1971. So this is now 2003. This is not the current American Memphis that played Penn State in the Cotton Bowl. No, this is pre-Conference USA Memphis? Or are they Paxton Paxton Lynch had not even thought of going to Memphis yet. (laughs) (laughs) Not not at all. Their halls had not been graced by the college excellence of Paxton Lynch. They did not. They had to get graced by D'Angelo Williams first. On a 31-year bullish drought, he goes to Memphis, and his freshman year, 2002, it's a very modest 700 yards and five touchdowns. I'm going to say it again. I say modest because he just keeps getting better. His sophomore year in 2003 broke out 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns with 400-yard receiving and three touchdowns. His sophomore year... Memphis is good enough to get into their first bowl in 32 years. They get in and they win against North Texas in the New Orleans Bowl. It's a future it's, conference rivalry right there uh, in, the, yeah. in, in the American in what, next year or the year after? We'll have a mean green versus tiger action. They um, went to the city of Tulane, so just all around American life. Perfect. At this point... His junior and senior season are what you would call video game numbers. Numbers that don't really seem to make a lot of sense. His junior season in 2004, 
the 2004 is an important year, and we're going to touch back on that. 1,950 yards. That's 1,950 yards, just shy of 2,000, and 22 touchdowns. Second consecutive Conference USA Player of the Year in 12 games. This would be another season where they've now earned a second consecutive bowl bid in the GMAC Bowl against Bowling Green, where D'Angelo Williams in the third quarter would break his leg. Oh, no. He goes down in the final game of his junior year. Coming off of a broken leg, you don't really know what to expect. In his senior season, probably six months after he broke his leg, he would have 1,970 yards, so 20 more than last season, and 18 touchdowns in 11 games, earning his third consecutive Conference USA Player of the Year. And Memphis would go on to win the Motor City Bowl against Akron. So in 32 years, they don't have a bowl. Angela Williams shows up, and he wins two out of three, maybe a third if he doesn't break his leg in the third quarter. That's just ridiculous that he breaks his leg and then has a better season in less games. Yes. Well, I am reminded of tempered glass and the idea that broken tempered glass, if, if it is refused, actually becomes significantly stronger than it previously had been with all the small bits being formed together. So I think D'Angelo Williams is made of glass, and I think it's tempered glass. <laughs> it's a good kind of glass. Yes, so major injuries in both his high school and college career, they obviously don't stop him. In his senior season, he was the runner-up for the Doak Walker and seventh in Heisman voting. This is 2005. Do you guys remember who won the Doak Walker? Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush. Yeah, Diaz. And there's a reason that I didn't ask who won the Heisman because no one won the Heisman. (laughs) Oh, right. It just doesn't exist. No, that um, that guy uh, vacated. Vacated one. I saw it on the uh, on the list. Nothing, nothing worse than trying to vacate a trophy or a title after the fact. We all know what happened. It's one thing if, like, they were all on steroids or some shit. They just got some money. Didn't make him play better. He was still the best player in the country that year. Give him back the Heisman, damn it. My favorite thing is when they said, we're going to vacate the title. People say, give it to the runner-up. Me, personally, I would never accept it as a runner-up. So that is D'Angelo Williams' college career. I did want to leave you with a couple notes, and these are actually cherry-picked stats to try to keep this a little more condensed. Second and eighth highest scoring season in Memphis history, points-wise. That is second and third amongst non-kickers, only behind Daryl Henderson for the Rams. He is the fourth highest scoring career in Memphis history, highest amongst non-kickers. And these are, you know, Jake Elliott, Steven Goskowski, very good kickers at Memphis. Most touchdowns scored in 2004. The program had 53 touchdowns, and he was responsible for 23 of them. He is the first, second, and fifth highest scoring rushing season, uh, yardage-wise. He's the all-time leading rusher by more than 2,500 yards at his own program. Errol Henderson has 3,500. Uh, D'Angelo Williams has over 6,000 yards. I doubt that'll ever be break because running backs won't stay for four years now. Like, even if they're not going to get drafted, just to give yourself a better chance of sticking, like, as a UDFA. So he'll, he'll probably keep that record forever. 
He does hold an NCAA record to this day, and that is a career number of 100 rushing yard games, 34 100 rushing yard games. You got to think, he really probably only played 48 if he's lucky. He is sixth all-time in rushing in the FBS, fourth all-time in all-purpose yards in the FBS. He has his number 20 retired at Memphis, and he was, most importantly, a 2005 Playboy All-American. Yes, yes, I just read an article about the Playboy All-Americans. That's what he was really going for all those years. So, terrific college career. He's actually up for College Hall of Fame induction this year. So pretty important that the committee listen to this podcast and hear my pitch for him. So um, Put D'Angelo in the College Football Hall of Fame. Absolutely. So in 2006, D'Angelo Williams will get selected with the 24th overall pick to the Carolina Panthers. Highest pick out of the University of Memphis since 1977. His first two seasons, rather unimpressive, typical young running back. Uh, he's backing up to Sean Foster. In those two seasons, though, he would have 500 and 700 yards, respectfully. And he had five touchdowns in 2007, which showed a good amount of promise to let Deshaun Foster go and let D'Angelo Williams take over. In 2008, he's primed to be the lead back. But 2008 would bring two of the most important people in D'Angelo Williams' life. One of them was my original guy, Gary Barnage. He gets selected by the Carolina Panthers, plays five years for them. The other one is a guy that he would become so synonymous with, and that is uh, Jonathan Stewart. Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams form this two-headed monster that in the first two seasons just seems unstoppable. 2008, this would be D'Angelo Williams' best season in his career. Is the lead back, but Jonathan Stewart is a rookie not too far behind him. D'Angelo Williams goes out and he has 1,500 yards and 18 touchdowns. Rookie Jonathan Stewart would have 800 yards and 10 touchdowns. This would lead Carolina to a 12 and 4 season, the second seed in the playoffs. Unfortunately, doesn't go their way. They lose to the Arizona Cardinals, who eventually lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers in an all-time classic Super Bowl. But Angelo Williams earns his first bit of hardware here. He is the NFL's most improved player, and he is second-team All-Pro. He does not make a Pro Bowl because the fans of the Washington, now Commanders, stuffed the ballot box for Clinton Portis, and Clinton Portis was the Pro Bowl running back. Not the guy who scored 18 touchdowns, just Clinton Portis. Can't trust those comments. I hate that franchise so. Pro Bowl is meaningless. All Pro is by far the more important. Yeah, unless your contract language specifically mentions Pro Bowls. Yeah, well, he's still on a rookie contract at this point, but it is really good that he racked up a second team All Pro on his rookie contract. In 2009, this is when the two-headed monster breaks out, and they set a unique record for the sixth pair of teammates to rush for a thousand yards at the time the first pair of teammates to rush for 1,100 yards. D'Angelo Williams would have seven touchdowns, and Jonathan Stewart would have 10 touchdowns. However, due to a very tough schedule after going 12-4, and they actually go 8-8 and and miss the playoffs. This would start a bit of an unlucky run, where in 2010, D'Angelo Williams would get hurt. Jonathan Stewart 
clearly missing his counterpart would only rush for two touchdowns and it would go two and 14 Carolina Panthers big fall from grace but in 2011 they pick up a shiny new toy in Heisman winner Cam Newton so that guy's pretty good good. (laughs) he's pretty good pretty good they would also pick up the only tight end with a confirmed third leg and that's Greg Olson <laughs> they also I picked up they on that on uh, on the U part two, 30 for 30. Yes, they do. <laughs> if you want to learn more about Greg Olson's penis? Check that out. <laughs> yeah. They also got a brand new head coach after going two and 14, a guy named Ron Rivera. Pretty good coach. In 2011, both men would actually take a hit yardage wise and touchdown wise. Because Cam Newton is a quarterback that's very good at running the ball. So a lot of short yardage situations, they just give the ball to Cam Newton. Both guys would rack up D'Angelo Williams a little over 800, Jonathan Stewart a little under 800. D'Angelo Williams back with seven touchdowns. So, you know, not their best season. But Cam Newton in his rookie season has 14 rushing touchdowns that he potentially took away from Williams and Stewart. They go 6-10. and ten. They missed the playoffs for a third year in a row. It is now 2012, and this is a bit of a statistical anomaly that means absolutely nothing for a guy. The Carolina Panthers lost the first 13 coin tosses to start the season. <laughs> Which, you don't have to do the math. I have it here for you. That is a 1 in 8,192 chance. Beautiful. That's so good. 13 coin tosses in a row. They would lose. They didn't lose that many games, but they didn't win that many games either. And they would miss the playoffs again with D'Angelo Williams having again around 800 yards and five touchdowns. But the Panthers this year, they add rookies Luke Keekley and Josh Norman. So they are young and they're looking up and they get a little bit better every year. 2013 brings in GM Dave Gettleman, who we all know and (laughs) love to laugh at. But Gettleman does a pretty good job in Carolina. And this is a season where Jonathan Stewart gets hurt for a significant amount of time. And they bring in fullback Mike Tolbert to handle some of the load. Tolbert just does a, a great job, especially for a fullback turned running back. In 2013, our guy would rack up 843 yards and three touchdowns. Tolbert taking a lot and Cam Newton taking a lot. So in um, 2013, the Carolina Panthers started the year one and three. They would finish the year 12 and four. So just an incredible run. They go five and one in the division. They would make the playoffs as the two seed again. They would lose to the Colin Kaepernick-led 49ers squad. I would go on, I'm sure James knows pretty well. <laughs> they would go on and lose the Super Bowl to the Baltimore Ravens. Despite the machinations of Roger Goodell and the electricians at the Superdome, yes, we, we did manage to defeat the many forces waging against us and come away with that victory. At the game, friend of the yeah. show, uh, Tucker Fullweiler was at. And then couldn't get a drink during the blackout because all the credit card machines were down. Oh. That's got to be like when betters at the Kentucky Derby couldn't cash in their slips because it was under protest. Just <laughs> chaos. Nobody's happy. Everybody's drunk. 
It's not a good scene. So our guy is now in 2014, and I want to go back to 2004, his junior year of college. Angela Williams' mom would get diagnosed with breast cancer, and this just becomes a huge part of his life. In 2006, he started a foundation just as a rookie in the NFL. Major part of the NFL, getting the NFL to let them wear pink cleats, which is now turned into your cleat, your cause. In 2004, his mom is diagnosed with breast cancer. In 2014, in I believe May, Sandra Hill, D'Angelo Williams' mother, would pass away from breast cancer. Like I said, we will get into why breast cancer means so much to D'Angelo, but I just want to start this 2014 with that note. Because that was early 2014. It is now the football season, and D'Angelo Williams has one of his most dreadful seasons in his career, in an otherwise great career to this point. He would only play six games due to a hamstring injury, a sprained ankle, and a fractured hand. All in the same season. Like, he would play two games, pick up another one, be out for four weeks, play a game, pick up another injury. It was tough for him, and he's a competitor that's being held out of the field. He's just getting more and more frustrated. The Panthers take a step back, but they do still make the playoffs. At a 7-9-1 record, they sneak in, and they beat the Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals get a little bit of revenge, but they would lose again in the divisional round, this time to the Seahawks, who would go on to lose on the very famous Malcolm Butler goal line interception. So three trips to the playoffs, three losses in the divisional round, all to the eventual loser of the Super Bowl. This has now been nine years in Carolina. And after the 2014 season, Dave Gettleman informed him off the record that he would not be returning, that they felt they didn't run the ball enough with running backs to hold on to him and Jonathan Stewart. And that basically they were going to release him. It was just a matter of time. Angela Williams wants to speak out on the matter. He has an interview with a local news station in the news station's hangar with the lights turned off in essentially a secret location so that he could talk shit on his current employer. (laughs) His current and soon to be former employer already, which is the best time to talk shit on someone. And it's Dave Gettleman. So good. And I'm going to get into, I'm going to get into why, but yes, he is essentially a sitting duck. He's got one foot out the door. He says, I'm going to hold a secret interview to just talk about my employer. Candidly, (laughs) in this interview, they asked him if after nine seasons, if it's really sad to be released. And D'Angelo Williams says no, says it's not sad. And that's the part that really gets to me is that I should be sad after leaving for nine seasons. And they asked him why. And he started getting very candid. And he said that essentially the Carolina Panthers just completely mishandled the passing of his mother. His mother was front lines in the NFL to get pink on the field. It started with the cleats and now it's the wristbands and the Carolina Panthers had her front stage for basically all of their good PR. When Sandra Hill passed away, D'Angelo Williams said he got one call from Coach Rivera. He got one call from Dave Gettleman and only after 
he wrote a tribute to his mother did the owner of the team contact him to extend his apologies so he feels essentially a little mistreated and he's leaving on a sour note but he does say that he doesn't want anything bad to happen to the panthers and he wishes them luck and that they are a young core that's going to do big things and that's a little bit of foreshadowing after all of that i know you're not going to like hearing this there is one player on the carolina panthers that attended sandra hill's funeral in arkansas and i want to give you guys the opportunity to guess who it was Barnage isn't on the team anymore at this point, right? Barnage is not. Steve Smith, I think, was gone by now. Steve Smith was gone the season before Angela Williams left. Ravens legend Steve Smith. Yes. Um, Was it it Jay Stu? was not Jonathan Stewart. Really blew my mind. This man was Greg Hardy. The other Greg. That was not expected. The the meaner Greg. He is the only player to attend his mother's funeral in Arkansas. When he's not throwing 100-pound women onto beds full of machine guns, he's actually a pretty nice guy. That blows well, my what mind. does it say about like... the rest of the Panthers that yeah. the worst player on the Panthers is the only one that went to the funeral? Like, obviously, you don't expect every player to go, but you'd expect some of the ones who've been his teammates for a while and who have probably met his mom multiple times because of the PR campaign to go. It's not like it's hard for an NFL athlete making millions to get a flight to Arkansas. Like, I would have expected at least five to ten Great guys to show up. That, that's very surprising. It was very surprising, especially because it is in May. It is the off-season. And these guys making millions of dollars couldn't sacrifice a plane ticket and a weekend. That's really messed up. Yeah, I mean, so naturally, all that happens before his final season where he is injury-ridden. Naturally, he's not excited, but he's not disappointed to be leaving Carolina. I also want to just touch on these notes real quick. At the time of his leaving... He was the all-time record holder in yards rushed and touchdowns. Both of them have been broken by Jonathan Stewart. And the touchdown record, he is now third behind Cam Newton. But he does hold single-season records for rushing yards and touchdowns. And what he would kind of be known for is he never really fumbled the ball. Most fumbles he ever had in the season was three. In nine seasons, he would leave with 12 fumbles for the Carolina Panthers. Pretty good. Pretty good. good. Put that in context, Jonathan Stewart has 24, so double, and Cam Newton has 56 touchdowns, or 56 fumbles. (laughs) So, little second-half career resurgence, sort of a one-year resurgence here. D'Angelo Williams in 2015 signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers on a two-year deal. To start the season, he would start the first two games over a suspended Le'Veon Bell. And in week nine, Le'Veon Bell would go down with an MCL injury, and Angel Williams took over for the next seven weeks. He would go on to tie Marcus Allen for the oldest player to ever share a title of the touchdown trophy, I guess would be the word, the touchdown, touchdown title. crown. Yes, he would share a title at the age of 32. For running backs, he would share the touchdown title with Adrian Peterson, Devontae Freeman, and Jeremy Hill. What a group. What a group. Jeremy Hill. What a group. I I have a shameful admission that I must make. Uh, I have a very 
hard and fast rule in any fantasy league that I participate in where I try very, very hard not to have any of like my true rivals. Uh, a Yankee, a Red Sox, they never cross any of my baseball rosters. And back when I still played fantasy football, never would a Steeler grace my rosters except D'Angelo Williams during that season where he just kept filling in for Le'Veon Bell all the time. And you know what? Going against my personal code paid off and it felt dirty and <laughs> I've never done it again since then. I will say I agree with you. I have a very hard time drafting Cowboys. The last one I can remember was Amari Cooper. And again, I didn't like it because you'd start a guy that you really deep down hope doesn't score. It just feels, feels wrong. So keep in mind, this is 2015. He now has a touchdown title in 2008. And seven years later, wins the touchdown title in 2015. This Steelers team, with him starting in the playoffs, would go on to lose to the Denver Broncos, who would go on to beat in the Super Bowl, we all know the answer, the Carolina Panthers. I'm just trying to remember what the rule used to be. What was it? If you beat the Carolina Panthers, you lost in the Super Bowl. That's what the rule was when he was there originally, right? Correct. But if you beat him on a different team, you get to win the Super Bowl. Okay, so that's the new secret. Right. So this 2015 season is Cam's MVP season, and the Carolina Panthers go 15-1, and and they run into Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl, and they would lose the Super Bowl. So D'Angelo Williams lost, but the team that did him wrong also lost. So a little bit of a silver lining there. Let's also be more accurate and say they ran into the Denver Broncos defense and very much not Peyton Manning. Correct. They ran into Von Miller. That's really what happened. Just brief segue, because I'm thinking of that Super Bowl now. Where do you all fall on Cam going or not going for that fumble? Do you think it was, uh, it was a cowardly move? Do you think he should have gone in there? You got more game to play. You need your hands. It's a business decision. Uh, I wouldn't do it. I, if I don't I'm even a think it's a business decision. I think that's a rest of the game decision. Oh, I mean, that, that was a goal. That was like almost a game at that point, though. I probably would have expected any position other than a quarterback to go for it. Right. But I, mean, I just don't like, think quarterbacks are programmed that way. What I remember of it too is like it was kind of an awkward angle for him to go at it, where like I think he was worried about getting his knee rolled up. Anything um, happens in a scrum. I mean, what happens if someone grabs his leg and twists? We've seen that before. I don't want my quarterback in a scrum no matter what. Unless they're literally sacked and cannot get out of it, I don't want my quarterback in a scrum. I, they're too valuable. Totally fair. I, mean, I, digress. I, I, just, I just wanted to, to get everybody's opinion on that real quick, but please continue, Kev. Yeah, so naturally, I mean, he's a little upset for some of his teammates on Carolina, like Jonathan Stewart. But neither of them walk away from that season with a Super Bowl. And it is now his final season in the NFL, unfortunately, is the end of his two-year deal. 2016, where he would again start the season for a suspended Le'Veon Bell. And in the first two games, would have 240 yards uh, player of the week after rushing for 150 in the season opener. That would be the height of the season as he would pick up injuries along the way. And to him, he felt like team success uh, was greater. And this was still a good Steelers team, but he's not on the field very much. But to round off in sort of just what is a poetic way, the Steelers would lose in the AFC Championship to Tom Brady and the Patriots. 
And Tom Brady would go on to complete arguably the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history against the Atlanta Falcons and winning the game in overtime. So, James, to make this circle complete, on Carolina, he lost in the playoffs to the Super Bowl losers. And in Pittsburgh, he lost in the playoffs to the Super Bowl winners. And both times that the team went on to win, they won over an NFC South team. So there's that, too. He did, yeah. That's just some extra seasoning. That's just a little bit of extra jambalaya spice on it. So 2016 obviously would be the end of his run as a player. But he has not stopped being very active off the field. And I'd like to get into that a little bit. And I would like to start with the most important part of D'Angelo Williams' life. Probably even during football, he probably valued this more, and that is breast cancer awareness and research. D'Angelo Williams' family has just a, a very, very sad story where his grandfather held a genetic marker predisposing his daughters to breast cancer. All five of his daughters got breast cancer. God damn. Yeah. Uh, as I said, in 2014, his mother, Sandra Hill, would pass away. Had a very, you know, mind-changing effect on D'Angelo and how he had his outlook on life. But a really horrible part of this story is Sandra Hill was only survived by D'Angelo and her youngest sister, who just a few years ago also passed away from breast cancer, making it a mother and four aunts to pass away from breast cancer for D'Angelo Williams. It is an incredibly important cause for him. To the point, in 2004, Angelo Williams, here's the news, his junior season, that Sandra Hill has been diagnosed. It is not a shock. Sandra Hill lost a sister in 96 and 2000 already, so it's not a shock, but it's something that he was prepared for to the point that he told his mother to go get surgery, and his mother said, that she will push off the surgery until his junior season was done, saying, quote, your off-season is my off-season, son. Aw. Yeah. So, in 2006, his rookie season, he would establish the D'Angelo Williams Foundation, just dedicated to breast cancer research and getting women mammograms, getting them tested, basically as the best line of defense, is what D'Angelo Williams says, to just voluntarily get tested once a year. Leading up to that I'm getting to 2015, D'Angelo Williams was so influential of getting players to be able to wear pink cleats on the field. Now the NFL lets you wear your cleats, your cause. And in 2015, he asked if he could wear pink accessories outside of the season. And the NFL, of course, told him no, that it doesn't fit the rule book of what is allowed in their uniform. D'Angelo Williams would go on to dye the tips of his dreads pink because the NFL could not tell him what color to wear his hair. Take that, Goodell. And the best part is they got more negative press than they would have just letting him wear a couple wristbands. It's the Streisand effect. Yeah, it is. So uh, he would dye the tips of his hair because the NFL said legally you're allowed to get tackled by the hair if it comes out of your helmet so it's not a part of your uniform. He's allowed to dye his hair. Troy Palomalu could have dyed his hair pink and let it flow all the way down if he wanted to. In 2015 as well, he got fined for wearing eye black 
that had a pink ribbon and said "Find the Cure" on it. They the picked up a heartless bastard. You have to be for. to find something yeah. for that. He picked up a five thousand dollar fine for that. Jesus Christ, that's ridiculous. It was, but just to kind of paint that picture for how much it means to him. In 2006, like I said, he founded the D'Angelo Williams Foundation to honor his mother and four aunts. At the time, three of these four aunts had passed away. So it really did mean a lot for his mother and his lone surviving aunt to see what he was doing. And it started off, you know, just as a, a money raiser. In 2014, when his mother passed away, he pledged to buy or to sponsor 53 mammograms for the women in Charlotte and Pittsburgh. And that is because his mother uh, was 53 years old when she passed. She is the only one of the five sisters to make it past 50. To kind of spin this really depressing segment into some good news. Finish on a high note. (laughs) This foundation has grown so much. uh, They host an annual diathlon, uh, which is just a play on his name. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that raised $92,000 in 2021. And James, you'll like this. It is nothing to do with a swim. It is just a, a 5K followed by a 20-mile, a 30-mile, or a 40-mile bike ride. So sounds pretty nice. You can go to Jonesboro, Arkansas and, and run the race. Who wants to sponsor me to Arkansas? I'll do it. To this day... Uh, the D'Angelo Williams Foundation has sponsored over a thousand mammograms in what started off as Pittsburgh and Charlotte. He then sponsored a hospital in Memphis where he went to college. And then he sponsored the hospital in Jonesboro, Arkansas, where his uh, mother was receiving treatment, NEA Baptist. So there's these four hospitals now. D'Angelo obviously wants to take it nationwide. Since I knew that was going to be a little sad, I did want to give you what I found to be three of the most incredible nuggets of his life. And all of these are teaming with Gary Barnage. I told you I'd get back to him. I'm finally doing it. <laughs> Is Gary Barnage and D'Angelo Williams became best friends, uh, obviously playing for Carolina. They split up in 2014. Gary went to the Cleveland Browns. Gary Barnage in 2015 when D'Angelo Williams was having a lot of success in Pittsburgh, Gary Barnage went out and he put up uh, 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns in just one of the most insane anomaly seasons ever. I just want to say, in his five seasons in Carolina, he had 320 yards and five touchdowns. And he just doubled, almost tripled that in one season in Cleveland. Gary and D'Angelo, Gary would go on to be a groomsman in D'Angelo's wedding, which I don't know if many of you remember, was Walking Dead themed. (laughs) I encourage you to just Google D'Angelo Williams' wedding. Bride and groom have fully done makeup. The bridal party is chasing them across hills, trying to grab them, all with their zombie makeup done. They get into the reception, and D'Angelo and his wife take the makeup off, but the bridal party does it, and they take more pictures. Oh, this Uh, looks awesome. Yes, and finally, everyone uh, took the makeup off, but they have some of the craziest wedding pictures you'll ever see. Kind of is a little key that D'Angelo Williams might be a little bit of a nerd. Um, 
D'Angelo Williams has proudly hold that title. He loves video games. He loves wrestling. He loves The Walking Dead. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, I'm a little bit of a nerd. Like, he's a nerd who also rushed for 1,500 yards and 18 touchdowns one season. But that was in 2016. Uh, was his wedding just off of retirement in 2017? Angela Williams and Gary Barnage would show up to a taping of TNA Impact to back up former NFL player Quinn Ojanaka, who is better known as Moose. He is just a gigantic 6'8 former offensive lineman from Syracuse, turned pro wrestler. And this guy named Davey Richards runs in and he attacks Moose. Davey Richards gets separated and Gary Barnage and D'Angelo Williams get into the ring they do this very cliche thing where Davey Richards slowly backs up, not realizing that two NFL players are there. He bumps D'Angelo Williams. He shoves D'Angelo Williams. D'Angelo Williams shoves him back, and Gary Barnage gives him a body slam. <laughs> this would lead to Moose and D'Angelo Williams teaming up at Slammiversary to face Davey Richards and a guy by the name of Chris Adonis who many of you will know as Chris Masters in the WWE. Goodness so they gracious. have this match, and Angela Williams looks incredible. Like, he is fully in on the action. And Gary Barnage is not getting in on the action. Gary Barnage is still technically under contract, even though he won't play another down for the Cleveland Browns. Dave Meltzer is a longtime wrestling reporter, and he wrote, and I quote, D'Angelo Williams has potential to be one of the greatest wrestlers I've ever seen and compared him to athletes turned wrestlers such as Matt Riddle and Kurt Angle. That's pretty high praise. Very high praise. He added that it was the best in-ring performance from a celebrity that he's ever seen. Unfortunately, wrestling fans, D'Angelo Williams would retire three days after his match. He would get back in the ring once. In a confrontation with Austin Aries, but it would ultimately go nowhere. He never made another appearance. After this, D'Angelo and Gary, you guys know what the Amazing Race is? Yes. So he and Gary Barnage are now going to race around the world together. And they start off very slow. They finish 10th out of 11th. So they avoid elimination on the first leg by one group. They would go on to finish in the top four for like the rest of the race. In the final four, he's part of an alliance with the four remaining teams, and they turn on him. They turn on him and Gary because they don't want it to come down to a physical battle with two former NFL players. That's exactly what the players should be thinking. It was a great strategic move that D'Angelo and Gary never saw coming. Essentially, they have to wait on a park bench for two hours while all the other teams come and they finish the challenge. They would lose. And I found this to be an odd moment of D'Angelo Williams not being very humble. He gets to the final leg and they said, how did you enjoy your time at the Amazing Race? And he essentially said, it sucks. (laughs) He says, "Uh, I hated it. The bad outweighed the good. And they asked him why. And he said, well, the money's not life changing for me. I could have just paid for it and not had to race. I mean, yeah, you could have. Why'd you do it then? Right, definitely an odd moment of selfishness and not being humble for uh, D'Angelo Williams. 
When asked about Gary Barnage as a partner, he said that he was eh, and that he probably wouldn't do it with him again. <laughs> I think uh, it was just one of those things where you spend too much time with one guy and things get tight. But all things considered, him and Gary Barnage are still best friends to this day. D'Angelo Williams supports Gary Barnage's foundation, which is American Football Without Borders. They teach American football in, I think the latest place they went was Slovenia. The two of them still have a podcast together called uh, Cinnamon and Sugar. And I'm going to leave you with one note on their friendship. D'Angelo Williams says that he likes to think that he puts a little color in Gary Barnage's life. <laughs> um, because if you don't know, Gary Barnage is uh, just a goofy dude very from rural white. Florida who went to very, very college white. in Louisville, Kentucky. Like he's a, yeah. So D'Angelo Williams is up for the College Football Hall of Fame. And I do hope he gets in, but I do hope that he gets in the Hall of Guy. I hope he's not too good for it. I was a little tentative about putting all of his records in, thinking he might be too good for this. But that's D'Angelo Williams. I'll tell you what, you did the smart thing of bringing a weird record. D'Angelo Williams checks a lot of boxes because he has that weird little record of being one of two people involved in being the only two people to have both 1,100 yards in a season. Look, is 1,100 yards a lot? No. But is 1,100 yards a lot for two guys to get together? Yes. And on the topic of two guys, is his friendship with Gary Barnage. It's great. Before I throw it to Diaz, I just want to say something I really liked about this is something that you made me think of, Diaz, when you kind of pointed out, like, look, anyone in college, you better be putting up 250 yards in high school every night. I don't think of D'Angelo Williams like as any kind of crazy, overwhelming NFL player. And, and to know that he was that much of an overwhelming force in college every time how much of a jump that is like you have to be an all-time great college player to be a pretty good nfl player for a long time so d'angelo's story hits on a lot of elements of guy that i think are important first of all i'm a sucker for a redemption story a salvation story d'angelo could have been sucked into the gang life but found salvation through sport as so many of us do so i think that's really important I love the dispute with the NFL over wearing pink and then finding his loophole with, uh, with the pink dreads. I think that's fantastic. I love any time that somebody sticks a giant middle finger up to Roger Goodell. That's, that's major guy credentials to me. And I think another great element of so many guys in our hall is the postscript. It doesn't just end when the playing career ends. So going on to compete in TNA Impact, going on to compete in The Amazing Race with Gary Barnage, all of these elements really coalesce nicely into what we like to call here a guy. So, I mean, it sounds like he got one vote already from James. He definitely got one from me. Um, Xavier, what do you think? I mean, so I, I've written this down right now, but you can tell that Kev both listens to the show and knows us because I felt very pandered to this whole time. And it works. Flattery gets you everywhere. First, we're, first we're not off, difficult people to figure out. <laughs> Kev starts yeah, you out. Get, you just got to know your audience. Kev starts off with making memories about women's sports being awesome and the Knicks. 
Then he gives Duncan Edwards his gold medal for best guy for for best guy. And then he picks a guy who spent most of his career dedicated to breast cancer awareness advocacy, knowing how important that is to me, but who was also a nerd and who participated in reality TV and said that it sucked. Like, there's no better way to win me over. D'Angelo Williams 100% is a guy. Yeah, I knew when I started researching his breast cancer, all the work he did, I knew that I figured I had a vote from Xavier, and I thought Xavier might already know too much about him because of how much he did. So I'm glad you still enjoyed the story. (laughs) I very much liked it. You said you need to know our audience, but clearly our audience knows us. I definitely, as Diaz said, intimated towards my vote. Before I say my final vote, this is, this is what sealed it for me. I had, in the season that I had D'Angelo Williams, the only time I've ever broken, really, my divisional opponent won. Broke for D'Angelo Williams. I'm realizing, actually, I broke it twice that season. I also had Gary Barnage on that fantasy football team. And I'm thrilled to know that I had a pair of best buddies on the Baltimore Colts <laughs> that season, which I think was before my now six-year streak of not making... Yeah, I made the playoffs that year. That was back when like that happened to me sometimes instead of the last six years. I'm so glad to be able to look back on that Baltimore Colts roster even more fondly because of the best friend tandem of Gary Barnage, D'Angelo Williams. Diaz, would you like to do the honors? It is my great privilege with the unanimous vote of this guy, Bunal, to commend you, Kev, on an amazing presentation. But more importantly, we are here to honor the guy. And it is such an honor to welcome D'Angelo Williams, a fantasy football legend, incredible advocate for breast cancer awareness, a professional wrestler as well. In the end, of all those things, the thing that we can at least bestow upon him is the title of Guy. So it is said, and so it shall be, D'Angelo Williams, welcome to the Hall of Guy. Welcome to the Hall of Guy, D'Angelo and Kevin. Thank you so much for the successful litigation on his behalf. Man, I also still can't believe it took us that long to come up with Guy Bunel. <laughs> it was like more than half a year that we've been doing this before we finally got that. We, we, we love the wordplay here. Guy Beatles real good. I forget. There's something earlier where I thought you, you missed a great opportunity for a guy pun, James. I, I'm going to have to listen to it after the episode comes back. And for next week's episode, I'll let you know where you messed up. There was a great opportunity for a guy pun, but listen, we, can't, we can't get them all. Listeners, well, write in with missed joke opportunities. Just tell us what we fucked up, and then you know we'll make sure we get it right next time. Well, on behalf of D'Angelo Williams, I do humbly accept the Hall of Guy. I will make sure D'Angelo gets his jacket in the mail. (laughs) We'll Um, make his jacket a pink one specifically. He would love that. Actually, if you go on the D'Angelo Williams Foundation website, he wears a pink tuxedo to his events. That's sick. That's fucking so he's already sick. he's already got a pink jacket, but we we just need to step it up a little bit. We'll get him an even crazier pink jacket. And James, you can thank D'Angelo Williams for losing to the 49ers so that you could beat him in the Super Bowl. It's true. I mean, we could have beaten the Panthers. We would have beaten anyone. We were a team of destiny that year. Again, they shut down the stadium to try and stop us, and it was not enough. Ray Lewis and his deer antler spray were going out on top. <laughs> Totally legal. Yeah, and for anyone thinking about 
you know, trying to make their own pitch. It is a lot of work, and <laughs> you guys do this week in and week out, and I don't know how you do that. So, props to you. I have like six pages of notes that I was trying to cherry pick from, but it is it is tough. Thankfully, James edits it when we talk too long. Yeah, that's also double the amount of pages that I have most weeks. So I'm usually at like four pages or so, but you guys take notes. I just riff, baby. I don't take notes. James edits out all of the all of the bullshit. So yeah, and this is all going to be saved once again for our what did we call the Chris Hardwick podcast that comes on after this? <laughs> Talking guy. <laughs> Talking guy. Yeah. We, we got to get out so that Talking Guy can start recording. They're, they're banging on the door of the set. Diaz, thank you for the stinger next week. We'll go ahead and lead off with that. A special thanks once again to you, our longtime listener, first-time caller, Kevin. I've been James. I've been the very special guest, Xavier. I am D'Angelo Williams, a spokesperson, Kevin. I'm Diaz. And as the famed ECW announcer, Joey Styles would often proclaim, Oh my God! Ha, 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 ha.